Is there anything you would have done differently? We've reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to Ink Stained Wretches, a 2021 year in review, a 2021 a wretches review. We're going to break down what went wrong and what went right with the American news media in 2021, the first year of true wretchedness and a look back. First so, half year, yeah. Recognizing the best and worst of media coverage this year. And since I'm a part of this podcast, we get to start with the worst. <laughs> well, Yay. the first, the, I want to I want to start with one good thing before we get to the bad thing, which, which is, is that we have a podcast. What a fun thing, right? Totally. And I remember when I was, when I was, what, what, what did Nancy Pelosi say one time about being unemployed, freed from work? Uh, <laughs> when I, when I, when you I were when, involuntarily defenestrated. When I, when I was freed from work and free to pursue my passions, I didn't know what I was going to do. And when you and I started talking about this, I remember the moment I was riding in the car, uh, driving somewhere, and you and I started talking about it, and it just made sense. And I got to tell you, it has made great sense. And I really want to applaud you for your idea that we, we should work together, number one, which is something that I, I always wanted to do, and I'm really glad we've gotten Okay. I did have the idea we should work together. Yes. I contacted you the day it happened. Yes. And I said, do not take another job without consulting me. Yes, you did say that. And then it was like three months, okay, before okay. Chris said, yeah, maybe we should do a podcast. So so it was a little more coaxing and convincing on my part well, it was, than Chris might lead you to believe. But, I needed things. But now, I now needed, he's in I needed certain marriage. things. I needed certain things like health insurance and others that had to be put into place, and that was good. But uh, I'm so pleased that we've done it, and I really think that our effort to take journalism with the correct amount of seriousness, which is to say some, but not a lot, uh, is a good thing, and I really like it. Anyway, the worst being <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Uh, okay. So, okay. Anyway, we, and, into the worst. And we, Guys, and we have we, our priorities straight, because yeah. after this, we have our Ingstained Wretches final lunch of the year, where we are going to the Palm with our producers, Sam and Alex, and so we've, like, basically got to rush through this yeah, so we, got we can have we steaks. Got, and we uh, I, we do not claim, as with all of our stuff, we don't claim that this is comprehensive or complete. We don't, uh, your mileage. No, this is a total rush job. You, well, your, I don't know about that, but it's your mileage may vary. And we want to hear from you. You can email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. And tell us where we were wrong, why are we why we were stupid, and why we should be punished. And if we don't respond to it, it's totally Alex's fault. Uh, hundo so we'll P. give you her personal email, and like address, and everything. We'll, we'll, give, can, we'll give you, you her Bumble profile. You can hit her there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, without further ado, uh, let's go. Um, 95% of the American people will agree with everything he just said. 95% of the press covering this White House will disagree. And for an American president to finally be completely aligned with such an overwhelming majority of what the American people think about Afghanistan is probably a tremendous relief to the American people. That was Nicole Wallace on MSNBC. Chief defender of the Iraq war, for those who might have forgotten. On, on, the, on the day that Joe Biden gave his first press conference about the fall of Kabul when people were howling and the 
criticism of the administration's handling, to say nothing of the policy for now, but just of the handling of the Afghanistan withdrawal policy had already manifested itself as a failure, right? We, we, th this is happening in real time. For, of all people, Nicole Wallace to pretend that she is standing against the journalistic elites in Washington and shoulder to shoulder with the red-blooded Americans, who 95% of whom agree with Joe Biden on Afghanistan, was indicative of the kind of craptacular coverage of the Afghanistan withdrawal that we saw. That's why we're leading our Stinkeroonie Awards with this. Well, she's actually a special case. Um to, I never add nuance to the discussion, but I'm going to right now. Uh -oh. I thought that the coverage, the media coverage of the withdrawal from Afghanistan was actually quite good and was an, an inflection point in the coverage of the Biden presidency. Well, you can't bring the good up into the bad. Okay, but I'm just going to like add, okay, Nicole Wallace is like a ridiculous joke, and that was hilarious, particularly without an acknowledgement of, you know, I led the cheerleading for the Iraq war. I was totally wrong. Like, shame on or me. You know, if that's if that's what she really thinks. But go ahead uh, on, on the rest of the coverage. I thought that it was an inflection point in the media coverage of the Biden presidency, which had been during the campaign and for the first six months, basically from January to July of a return to normalcy and competency. There was a lot of coverage of the the execution of the withdrawal, raising questions about the Biden administration's claim to competency. And I think there's since there has been continued scrutiny. Yes, but what are we going to talk about when we do Afghanistan and the good? Okay, the youth was on the ground. This is not on you, the ground. You pointed out that in we're we are recording this the week before you are listening to this so that everyone can be merry and bright but this you pointed out the 60 minutes segment that yes. was there there is a a kind of ca capture intellectual capture and groupthink that took place around this withdrawal of course afghanistan withdrawal is popular free money is popular lots of things are popular if they don't come with any negative consequences and the way that a lot of this was discussed. Yes, American voters, Republican and Democrat, a lot of people want to be withdraw, what want withdrawal from Afghanistan. But public opinion polling cannot then include this caveat. Do you support uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan if it is a catastrophe? <laughs> right? <laughs> if you polled it that way, 95% yeah, like of Americans. If 13 Americans are blown up. And if we lose in face in the world and if our uh, allies and enemies both think that we are nincompoops and, and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. So I think that was a, I think that was a considerable hole in the meanwhile cover. and meanwhile, like Biden's approval ratings have nose dropped starting with. Is that the word? Nose, 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 nose dived. dived uh, total pregnancy brain starting. Uh, you can trace it to the Afghanistan withdrawal. Of was, course, there's a lot started, of other factors. But it had started before the Delta, the Delta did not the, help the response to the Delta variant. Uh, that was not me. Uh, the response to the Delta variant was the beginning of the unraveling. You're really breaking the third wall there, Chris. I'm sure I'm sure our listeners will be shocked to learn we have computers in this room that sometimes make we do, noises. We do a lot of, I don't want to ruin the experience. We do a lot of them. this with carbon paper uh, <laughs> and typewriters. So we'd like to keep it really traditional here. But and I'm not saying that Samantha next to me is reading the menu for the palm to pick her. I, I her, just did her that. Focus, the, I just did the that. focus that you ladies are bringing to the year end episode. Oh my is gosh, really, I totally just did is, that. It's huge. I really appreciate uh, awesome. it. Awesome. Sam? But I, 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 will, I will say that the effort to, much like with coronavirus, 
use Afghanistan. Well, whose fault? Who the 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 journalistic focus goes from who's to blame, but what they really mean who's to blame is who will pay the. We're going to fight now about who will pay the political price for this, and that is unworthy. It is seedy, and it is reflective of a media that is way too much into partisan capture mode. A rump. Well, Trump approved Republican Glenn Youngkin's closing message to Virginia voters has almost singularly, singularly fo focused on weaponizing race, stoking hysteria over the coded boogeyman of critical race theory, which is not currently taught in any Virginia public school. I think that the, the real ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection-endorsed Republican. What do Democrats do about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, let's be clear. Some of it was dog whistle. Yeah. Right? Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. A thousand percent. But a taste of the epically terrible coverage of critical race theory that I actually think helped Republicans win in the Virginia gubernatorial election because that is like the equivalent of mansplaining where you're telling parents that what they are seeing with their own eyes that their children's are children are taught is not happening and it was a mix of either no they're not describing accurately what's being taught no it's not being taught at all yes it should be taught yes it's just teaching the civil war uh, the messaging was all over the place but it was absurd instead of describing it accurately as a debate over how should we teach the sins of America in our public schools, the very real sins. Should they be taught as, like, the country is intrinsically flawed and that these are systemic problems that persist to this day? Or, like, were these necessary compromises and sins made in order to found the country? Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying it perfectly, no, but no. I think there's, like, a really accurate way to frame the debate that's happening that is absolutely not how the media has framed it well for, you know i always put it this way the question when it comes to the the sins of america's past most importantly most significantly the betrayals uh, to which we subjected the american indians and slavery and the question it's a hard question but it's the right question was it worth it bad things occurred for the united states to come into being and to be the 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 power that it is in the world and do the things that it has done so has it been worth it i say it has been worth it now other people disagree with me especially people who may be descendants of slaves or indigenous peoples i understand why they have a different point of view but that's the debate the what was infuriating about the critical race theory debate and and we talked about this along the way is much like the discussion of inflation I listened for a long time to reporters tell consumers, news consumers, no, 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 what you're saying is happening isn't happening. There is an inflation. Well, if there is inflation, it's transitory. Well, if they blah, blah. But actually, a Thanksgiving dinner actually costs less. And there was so much effort to tell no, people. July 4th is 16 cents less this year than. Yeah, there, there, was so, there was so much of an effort that was obviously cheered on from the White House and from Democrats. But on the critical race theory, Obviously, when people say inflation, they mean things cost more. When they say critical race theory, it came to be a shorthand for having anti-racism be a core component of education for younger kids. And a lot of people don't think that should – that in, when, with schools failing as they are, this is not a, a utmost for the highest kind of situation, a worthwhile debate. The other thing that it was used to do was obscure the – 
boat anchor around the neck of the Democratic Party that is the teachers' unions. And the real frustration in Virginia, and I'm, I know I'm doing now what I accuse others of, but by my lights and in my eyes and as a person who has lived in northern Virginia and da-da-da-da-da, the frustration was, was with Fairfax County particularly, but northern Virginia schools that could not deal with coronavirus correctly because of the teachers' unions, and they didn't get the kids back in school, and people punished the party in power. And that makes perfect sense, but they didn't cover it that way. And I remember particular, or many did not cover it that way. And I remember particularly the accusation, I think it was in Axios. You sent it to me where it said Trumpy, or was it Playbook, in, that said there, that Glenn Youngkin used Trumpy tactics. That was uh, Axios. Yeah, uh, used Trumpy tactics like. Because he seized on he McAuliffe's statement. Because he took his opponent's statement yeah. out of context. You're like, no, no, it didn't say out of context. It said he seized on McAuliffe's yeah. misstatement. The parents should not. Had but, no role in but as it, but as if prior to Donald Trump, no Republican had ever been like, yeah. "Hey, we should take that out of context and beat him over the head with it a million times." Oy vey. Okay, let's go. The helicopters have left Afghanistan, and now they've landed here at home. And the left is hunting the right, sticking them in Guantanamo Bay for American citizens, leaving them there to rot. We are dealing with an insurgency in the United States here. So little did you know that black helicopters, you're not old enough to remember the black helicopter era in American politics during the Clinton administration. Little did you know there's like uh, thousands of Americans at rendition sites all over the world. Getting waterboarded. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think they've got Sebastian Gorka at a rendition site somewhere uh, in Egypt where they're waterboarding him to to it to bow down to the vaccine overlords. Uh, that was, of course, the Fox News streaming service. What's it called? Fox, Fox Nation. Nation. I had a show on it. I should know. Uh, Fox Nation. Uh, with Tucker Carlson's uh, three yeah, parts. No wonder they fired you. Three part series. <laughs> three part. Like, I worked for it. They paid my salary. What was it called? Uh, three part series that explored the possibility that uh, January 6th was a false flag operation and that the American right is being targeted by the men in the helicopters who are taking them away. This ended up being consequential in a number of reasons because it led to some high-profile departures at Fox and caused some divisions inside the network. January 6th coverage has left a lot to be denied, or a lot a lot to be desired in many ways, but I would nominate this as probably the low point. I mean, on both sides, I don't disagree with anything you said about the the Tucker special on on the left slash mainstream, the fact that, like, we have a Democratic president and Democratic majorities in both houses of Congress and the lead items on the networks every single day, basically, are still January 6th. And Trump. Is yep. incredible. And in the, in the newsletters, I'm struck, in Playbook, in Axios, the lead items, you know, Three to four days out of five are about Republicans. It's incredible. The focus there. And then in the aftermath of that, the focus on the experiences of journalists covering it yes. and the emotional trauma they suffered and how, oh, we can't sleep and we had Democracy PTSD. Democracy ends. And it's like, hit. oh, my God. Yeah, it was uh, it was incredible and uh, real microcosm of our current cultural moment. One of the problems with the discussion is that and we've talked about this before, things like Patriot Purge and what Fox has done around January 6th is, got, is comes in the, the guise of pushing back against the mainstream media narrative. Unfortunately, even if you're trying to help Republicans, helping them deny the significance of this historical event will not help the party. And, you know, we talked about it in, in last week, but this this is the, the fact 
the coverage has been overbroad, overblown, and hyperventilating. And I 100% agree with you. The f- the fixation on Donald Trump and his administration goes even beyond the considerable bandwidth that I would grant it as a historically important event, and we're less than a year away from. But rebutting, treating this as just another story where uh, Blue says X, so we say Y, that's not good for anybody. But first, your reaction to Simone stepping away from the all-around. The absolute right decision. You know, I think her mental health and safety always comes first, without a doubt. And this is what she has continued to do her entire career. She is setting that tone for the rest of the world, the next generation and the next generation after that, that it is most important to make sure that you're okay, that your mental health comes first. And the mental health included in the statement from USA Gymnastics. So certainly more on this tomorrow, and then we'll see the two American women compete in the all-around coming up in about 48 hours. Times. Athlete of the Year, Simone Biles, honored for quitting and elevating the importance of mental health. Chris, we talked about this actually a couple weeks ago on the show, and I was kicking myself for not having noted that overlooked among the honorees was her teammate who stepped into her place and won the gold medal. And I was like, perhaps someone more deserving of this honor. But I did think, like, certainly she shouldn't be shamed or... And and I think even applauded, like, great, take care of your mental health. That's wonderful. But to say, like, this is the hallmark of a great athlete seems ridiculous to me. And and then the overlooking of her teammates who stepped up in her place, I thought was was not good. I want to offer one defense that I of her that I did not offer when we were talking about it at the time is I underappreciate the significance of the Larry Nasser sexual abuse scandal. That is a that is going to last. That is I, I don't underestimate this. No, 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 no. I'm not saying you did. I'm saying I have. I have I How have, so? I have failed to appreciate this is at least on par with the uh, monstrous conduct at Penn State and the child abuse that happened there. But this is a, a heinous, huge thing. And in terms of Simone Biles being the athlete of the year, that would be part of, to, to play devil's advocate, to your point, part of the argument for what would make Simone Biles the athlete of the year was her role in confronting Larry Nasser and her There were a lot of them who did no, that. No, no, I know, I know. Um, I, this is totally random and neither here nor there, but one thing that jumped out at me was that Larry Nasser, who was like the Olympic doctor for these women, was an osteopath. And, you know, whatever, nothing wrong with that, but it's like you would kind of think that the doctor for the Olympic athletes would be an MD rather than a DO. Not that there's um, anything wrong with that. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that. That this was this swab that the nurse was actually using on you and that at first it went into your nose and disappeared so that in scale, this was the actual swab that was being used to fit up that double-barrel shotgun that you have mounted on the front of your pretty face. (laughs) See... I said I was going to be nice and sweet. I just want a yes, no. And was, I was it trying. this? I was trying. Or was it this? Very hard. Come on, which was? This it? is not love. This is not love. Listen. Okay, Eliana. My nominee for, well, we have a debate to have. I don't want to take ownership of either of those. That was, of course, the Brothers Cuomo at the peak of, as Jane Pauley says in our intro, Andrew Cuomo 
is having a moment. She, as, as our listeners get to hear each week, so, this was when he's at the peak. Little did, little did she know what that really meant. Exactly. An extended moment <laughs> that would last for months and uh, be excruciating. A, a career, and Andrew Cuomo is having a career-ending moment. But that is he and his long, brother long. at CNN jousting with a nasal swabs and yucking it up as they profited by it. And then later, journalistic, serious journalistic lapses, ultimately concluding with Andrew Cuomo or Chris Cuomo being revealed to have used his position at CNN to try to get information about the women who were accusing his brother of sexual misconduct as governor and Chris Cuomo's eventual termination. So that would be a, a pretty good candidate for the worst journalist of the year. And like he's never apologized for it. But what totally about defiant? Now he's ab- going to sue CNN for those eighteen million dollars that they haven't paid out of his contract. But what about Felicia Sanmez? She's like my personal hobby horse. But you've brought me around. Yeah, I really, totally. I really have. So she's my personal hobby horse because she's this Washington Post national correspondent who is an alleged victim of sexual harassment. But I find it amazing. Uh, there's a few things, both that the media, her colleagues in the media, like take for granted that she is telling the truth about I, all these claims. I'm more than willing to believe her claims that she was... Uh, well, they're not even couched as as alleged. They but just even, present her but even as if they, this or that. Even if they were... Pro- even if we had a, a videotaped confession from the attacker who said that they did it, her conduct is still not okay. Totally. But I, I do object to that. Like, the guy says he didn't do it, and it was consensual. This has not been tried in a court of law. It's been Wait tried a minute. in a court of media. I'm sorry, what? We know who the attacker yes. is, and he has publicly yeah, yeah, yeah. denied it? He denies it. Was Is he at the Post? No, no. It's oh, from okay. her previous employer, but there's been a lot written about it. He's Louise. He denies it. And I object to the media. Like, it seems unjournalistic to me for the media to take her claims at face value. Right. Given her, like, unhinged conduct, which is she has protested being taken off the sexual harassment beat. So she's been an outspoken proponent of victims and this and that nothing wrong with that but then she wanted to cover Kavanaugh and they wouldn't let her and that became a big scandal and then she was reprimanded for tweeting the day Kobe Bryant died don't forget he was accused of rape was told that was inappropriate and now she's suing the post for like workplace harassment and this inflicted so much mental pain on her and she couldn't sleep and she's depressed and she's anxious like you know, yes, I'm sure none of these things uh, have to do with her. If, she had, if her family had been a victim of Castro's regime in Cuba and she were an outspoken opponent of the Castro regime, she would not be the correct person to cover Cuba. Right. Even if the Castro's are bad, even if they even if the, even if her uh, objections are righteous and based in her own personal experience, that is not an argument for why she should cover it. It's an argument for why she shouldn't cover it. And her, the, her lawsuit, I, you really, you, you, I, I went on a journey with you with Felicia Sanmez. Well, first, Chris didn't want to say anything because he didn't want to, like, you know, impugn a woman who is. Uh, well, I, I look, pe- I, you know, you tread know, lightly. You know, one of the things that I say is uh, I quote Richard Thaler and the the uh, behavior like an uh, economist at the University of Chicago, which is we don't think that people are stupid. We think that life is hard and life is hard. The stuff is tough to navigate and sex crimes are da 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 da. So I'm, I, I always want to give people the benefit. I, uh, is a, a way I've heard it put, and I, I do aspire to this, which is to say, give people a chance to do the right thing, right? You can be prepared for them Still to waiting. do the wrong thing. Still waiting. <laughs> right. uh, well, and the other thing I find amazing is there's like this whole echo chamber around Felicia where 
nobody in the media will like come out and say, you know, a bunch of Washington Post employees wrote a letter like expressing solidarity with her, but nobody will come out and just be like, this woman's nuts. I think she's the worst of the year. I would argue I, I'm going to I can preach it round I can preach it round or I can preach it flat. But to, to make the case for her as the worst journalist of 2021 is t- to say that Chris Cuomo is not a person who I took seriously as a journalist I agree with in some that. way. Well, I didn't and, take her seriously either, but okay. But but she is a spy, she is writing for a newspaper and holding as herself. a straight journalist. Exactly. Right. So right. So I think that's it. All right. Have we said enough bad things that we feel like we are able to In the to interest say of getting things? to the palm, I'm ready to <laughs> say nice things. I will do anything to get to the palm, okay? I'll even say nice this things. Is what people, this is what people <laughs> will do for fried potatoes. Okay, here we go with the best. But I think more troubling was this sense that, you know, and I think that Thomas and Caitlin were both getting at this sense that it's, that we need a collective take on something. Um you know, strikes me as like not, not why I got into journalism. Okay, that is the great Michael Powell, uh, a reporter for the New York Times, uh, whose beat has become basically woke culture, cancel culture, and the, the backlash age, uh, the age of rage. That was, uh, if I do say so, uh, at an event that I hosted here at the American Enterprise Institute with uh, some of his uh, fellow iconoclastic journalists who are pushing back on the the tyranny of the woke and, and the group think in the media and the group think that 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 Michael identified right there he really is to me one of the the real stars of the of our journalistic moment his How long could he possibly last at the time he, but but he keeps doing it after yeah. he did the Smith College like roast session I thought well that won't last long and then he blew up the ACLU and I thought now he's really dead but he keeps going and he keeps doing good work. And I think part of the way, and I think there's a lesson in, in how he's handled this. He is not there to, he does not come as a destroyer, right? He does not come to take down or ruin or blow up. He comes and asks hard questions and follow. It, this is what, what the thing I most want to praise in journalists and the thing that I want, most want to encourage in journalists is find an interesting subject, ask questions, and go where the story takes you. Just go there. And sometimes it's going to be good for Team A, and sometimes it's going to be good for Team B. Sometimes it's going to confirm your biases. Sometimes it's going to overthrow them. Be, just get there and go. Powell has done that. And Eliana Johnson, as you have pointed out, there's a huge beat over here that has been undercovered. And now reporters are like, wait a minute, we could talk about this? Well, I, yeah, my response to your, your putting Michael Powell on this list was, he deserves a spot there because I, I think of him as one of the only people in the mainstream media, and he mentioned Caitlin Flanagan, she's another one, who are covering the beat of what I would describe as woke excesses, which is just this huge topic that is super interesting, super newsy, so much happening, but there's a huge reluctance in the mainstream to talk about it and to cover it accurately. And I wanted, and I've mentioned on this podcast that it's left an enormous amount of material on the cutting room floor for other outlets, including Barry Weiss at Common Sense and Aaron Sabarium at the Washington Free Beacon, who have done a lot of stories that Powell and Caitlin have picked up on yep. um, and, and elevated, them on from there. but they deserve a lot of credit, too, for doing, like, as you said, asking difficult questions, 
latching on to interesting stories. So I wanted to acknowledge them too. For sure. And it is one of the most interesting beats. And it's amazing to me that there aren't more people competing on it. Like there were on the Trump beat, which was a great beat, but it was like everyone and their freaking mother, brother, sister right. was all, all over it's it. A, it's an, an elephant hunt in a phone booth. It, and a yeah. cousin to this worth noting is that the belated awareness on, on the beat that I watch most closely, politics, uh, on the politics beat of people, and this was uh, David Shore. David. 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 I don't. I always want to say Daniel Shore, but he's on PBS. You get your D he, Jewish names confused. He's he's on NPR, but uh, Shore's uh, the Democratic data guy who said, "Hey, by the way, this stuff is we're being ruined by trying to please twenty-seven-year-olds who use beard oil and carry around Nalgene bottles of water everywhere." Uh, let's think about who our real voters are. So the backlash is taking place. The coverage of his uh, rebuttal, and of course, well, he's I, been like so covered. I he, mean, oh, he is now lavished. Him. It's they. It, like, he, he's like so happy to have been canceled, like a mother with a new kitten, the, or a kitten with a, a, a kitten with her mother. And I, of course, have to mention Jeff Maurer, my favorite Substack of the year. The I might be wrong Substack, and he's part of that too. So kudos to people who are for whether self-interest or national interest or whatever combination of both waking up to this stuff. Okay, here we go. At a Hazara cemetery, Ajibullah meets a woman who says the Taliban has been launching deadly attacks on their community. Her grandson was killed in the fighting. Like other ethnic groups, the Hazaras are forming militias hoping to protect their communities from the advancing Taliban. Alipur claims to have thousands of fighters at his command. That is a PBS coverage of the looming Afghan civil war. We had some not so nice things to say in our worst category about the coverage of the Afghanistan withdrawal. But we should remember that for print and for television and for multimedia journalists who are still there, for who for, who were there and covered the whole thing. I mean, we can think of reporters for uh, major American newspapers that spent a decade covering Afghanistan, and they put in a lot of good work at the end, at the fall of Kabul and all of this stuff, and, and, and hats off to them. Agree. And this goes, I made this point already earlier, but I I thought, I did think that the domestic coverage of the implications of the botched Afghanistan withdrawal for the Biden presidency was quite good. Yep. And I remember from August 16th, a Matt Visor piece for the Washington Post with the headline, Biden's promise to restore competence to the presidency is undercut by chaos in Afghanistan. So, so kudos on and, that. And his defenders like... Nicole Wallace, uh, what's his name, who used to be the politics guy at ABC, Matt Dowd, and others who were very upset about that neg negative coverage that you described, was so laughable because it just revealed them to be people who did not want things to be fair, but instead wanted an, a, an, a nuclear winter of Trump bashing and Republican bashing. Don't worry. They they went back to 1-6 the next day. They're, so They're good. Whatever. <clears throat> okay. Here we go again. The agreement was met. And it is historic. And what I said in the second negotiation is still true to this day. We just got paid an absurd amount of money. And what that money says is they don't own our company at all. FanDuel is still our exclusive sportsbook partner, but they just want us to lock in the fact 
that we will continue to do this show how we want to do it. Eliana, do you know who Pat McAfee is? I put, when you put this in, <laughs> who the hell is this and what are we talking about? I have no idea what is happening here. So Pat McAfee is was the kicker for the Indianapolis Colts, but before that he was at West Virginia University. Hail, hail. And he and FanDuel, an online betting service, have agreed to terms on a new deal, $30 million per year. Now, the reason this is a best, other than the fact that I like Pat McAfee and I like his show, what Pat McAfee figured out is, and this goes with Substack, he figured out that there was a serious market for unbiased, non-homeristic, straightforward sports coverage. And that it does, by the way, relate to the growth of online betting. There's no question about that. But Pat McAfee did a different kind of show. He had been with ESPN, and then he was with Barstool, and now he's spun off again for this new thing to do it himself. And I just want to give him kudos for he was true to himself and what he wanted to do throughout. He made it possible. He got paid a bunch of money. I think this is indicative of what the really good stuff about more independent journalism can be. Okay, and our, our listeners will not be surprised that Chris has many more favorites than I do for the year. So <laughs> there we, have, all right, but I, I really like the story too. So that's I want to I want to mention I want to mention oh this one that doesn't have any sound to go with it. This is true, but my favorite story of the year, uh, and I will get choked up thinking about it, talking about it. And what I love about it, Reed Epstein, who writes for the New York Times, who covers the Hill, who covers politics for the New York Times, proves that very often the best stories uh, are not where you're looking. And it, the headline, we'll put it in the show notes, 52 years and 11 days, a son facing death finds his father. And it's a story of a, of a guy who fathered a son and the mother did not want him in the life. And, and he went on with his life and they were apart, but he always wondered. And I guess the mom kind of kept him apart. And then when his son was dying, he reached out to find his dad. And there, Epstein, who did such a beautiful job with this story, just, you know, he he lived up to the ultimate goal for a reporter. Get out of the way and let the, let the story tell itself. It's not about you. Uh, it's about the story. It's so good. We'll link that in notes. It was great. Okay. You ready? Uh, weird transition from that one to the next one. But, <laughs> well, here we go. But, but here we go. Here we go again. Searching for stripes uh, for more than a week now. Prince George's County Animal Control Officers have been out there working, trying to lure this group of Upper Marlboro zebras back into their home. Now, overnight, we received the new mugshot of Victor Cuevas. The 28-year-old was arrested last night in connection to that tiger that was roaming a West Houston neighborhood. Yeah, those twists keep coming, Samika. What a wild 24 hours it's been. This story making international headlines. So, Eliana, I got to tell you, I still, on my phone, there is a, a reminder that pops up every year for what I call the Lamaversary. Remember the story where the llamas escaped in Phoenix and ran around the police chase them? I love escaped animal stories maybe more than any other kind of animal stories. And 2021 treated us to a couple of truly spectacular uh, escaped animal what stories. What was your favorite of them? Well, the five Maryland zebras is great. <laughs> but the tiger in Houston is great, too, because both are where they should be. They're taking place in the places they should be. And what if you're like, hey, Eliana, what city in America is likely to have a giant tiger on the loose? 
you know Houston is the answer, right? It could be you could say Orlando, but Houston would be like, hold on a second, or Tampa or something. Yeah, yeah, it could be Florida, could be Florida, but the I think Panhandle somewhere. I, I think I think Houston is the correct place for a runaway Tiger. So I just love them both. I won't choose. Uh, last but most certainly not least was our favorite college student newspaper story of the year but like maybe favorite newspaper story of the year which we are still not sure whether it was like tongue-in-cheek satire but if it was then it was amazing if it wasn't it was like a wonderful cultural timepiece that may end up in the smithsonian and like underwater i was gonna say too bad bad the smithsonian will be underwater Uh, and this was the yale daily news story read the headline uh students struggle with winter's diminishing daylight and it quoted yale students saying (laughs) the one says personally i respond really well to daytime I know nothing about the occurrence and why it happens, but I know that I genuinely have worse days because I cannot enjoy the sun as much as I normally could. And then the MDs weighing in saying that the problem is that college students wake up at 1 p.m. and go to bed at 4 in the morning and they should try to adjust their schedules, but that's going to be a real struggle. Well, I say to you, Jacqueline Almazan, either you are the future of American satire or Yale needs to re- think it's admissions <laughs> <laughs> well we should we should so that that's that's the those that's our incomplete but enthusiastic list of the best and the worst and we wanted to tell people a couple of things we are really grateful for you and we've had such a fun time talking to you and we're looking forward to talking to you in 2022 in the twanky deuce but we're going to take a pause because eliana has been making a human being for almost nine months now and we're going to take a but we will have some treats for you to enjoy while we were on hiatus uh we, we're not going to tell you exactly how long it's going to be or what's going to be in it but there's going to be a wretches interrupt us for a brief period of time as we start out the new year and that will be okay but we will be back and we'll be back with some new additions and some new stuff and I'm some pretty, new bells and whistles some bells and whistles uh, after a successful launch we're going to be back with some bells and whistles so we're going to take a pause to refresh and then return although we may have some surprises that's, dropped that's in along said. the way Stay yeah there, there'll be and in the meantime happy new year and and uh, I'm and congratulations in advance I can't wait uh, to meet your daughter thank you okay thank you this has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.